And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 32 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been doing? Well, I guess I'm doing all right. You know, I was excited that my Salukis were back in action. And then, you know, you get the the first news that Damask is out week to week. It's been hurt apparently since the Butler game. And the last three weeks off have not, uh, you know, given them enough time to heal. And then they came out, they played really well. You know, for most of the game last night, they dropped that one. Then today, uh, just didn't show up in the second half. It felt like it just couldn't uh, get things to click. So I'd be in a lot better mood if uh, they would play at least like they did last night. But, uh, you know, I have to tell myself that it really has no impact on my life tomorrow. They're not going to care how I teach my classes tomorrow. So you, know, <laughs> you have to have a reality check at some point. How about you? How are you on your end? <laughs> Apparently doing better than you. Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, doing well. Uh, been a pretty pretty good week, kind of laid back and uh, watched the NFL games uh, Sunday. Didn't do a whole lot Sunday, laid on the couch most of the day, which was good. Some good football games on. I had the Buccaneers game right, uh, TJ. I got yeah. that game correct. Uh, apparently I whiffed on the Buffalo and Kansas City game which I thought I had a great chance to go 2-0 and there. The start that Buffalo got off to after Kansas City muffed the punt, being up what was like 9 nothing first six minutes of the game. And then mm-hmm. Kansas City just <sighs> took it to him. I think outscored him throughout the stretch, like 31-6. to yeah, I resisted the urge to text you, asking you what happened to your Buffalo Bills defense because I didn't want to. didn't want to dance on your grave too soon. Yeah, I, I probably looked at that and threw my phone across the room. Would have denied even having saw it. Because that would have shown me, right? That would have really proved it. <laughs> it I'm mad you were at me by breaking your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was one of those videos that we see, like that one guy after the Steelers game just destroyed his TV, put a ladder through it. It's like, wow, that, that seems like a pretty expensive uh, hissy fit that you just had there. Yeah, you would have been wondering why we couldn't have do the, done this podcast remote this week, and I would have been like, well, you know, you, you actually made me break my phone. <laughs> I'm using a flip phone right now, so. <laughs> I got, dug out my Motorola Razor from yeah. you know, grade school. But uh, during this week's episode, we'll get you caught up on some of the recent games between the two conferences, as well as some of the news surrounding the conferences. Also, we'll look ahead to the upcoming slate of games for this coming week. Uh, TJ, I'll let you get it started first with the Missouri Valley. I know you got some games you wanted to mention, and then on the Ohio Valley side, I got a couple games, and then some uh, some recent news that seems to uh, be, uh, I guess, some moving some moving parts in action. Yeah, you know, uh, Dalpo was back in action. You know, they had some trouble with Missouri State the weekend before, but they went, you know, uh, had Loyola, and uh, Loyola, I mean, just took it to him right away. You know, Cameron Crutwig had 15 points, but only played 21 minutes. Uh, they were up 37, 16 at half, ended up winning 75, 39. And then, uh, what was really kind of a surprise for that midweek game is Bradley was up at halftime. I think it was up a point against Illinois state. Uh, no Ari Boya, no Deshaun Henry, but seemed like they were going to be in okay shape. They'd been up 12 at one point in the first half. And then they, the wheels kind of came off to the Braves. Uh, second half, you know, Illinois State goes on a 12-3 run. Uh, it felt like uh, DJ Horn had a really good start to the second half. He goes five for nine from three for the game to have 23 points. They go on a 12-3 run. It just felt like every time I looked up, there was an unforced turnover by Bradley. They could ball just like a pass just thrown errantly, and uh, they really took advantage of it. So you thought Illinois State was in great shape. You know, they did a big win over their rival, Bradley, and they have Valpo come to their place. I think, yeah, that was at, Val, at uh, Illinois State, and Valpo takes two from them. You know, Ben Cricky uh, had a, didn't have a real good first game, but Donovan Clay, probably his best game of the year, you know, 20 points and 12 boards, and then Aaron Gordon has 14 points and 10 boards, and they led wire to wire in that game with you know, they were up 13 at half and the Illinois state, you know, makes a good push. And they cut it to four in the second 
and uh, just couldn't, didn't have enough time. Just basically ran out of clock. And uh, what had been a much anticipated matchup between Loyola and Bradley. Okay. Well, let me talk about the Valpo, the second Valpo sure. Illinois State game first to make it give us a little more flow here. Uh, Valpo again up twelve at half. In the or excuse me, Illinois State gets within three, and again they just you know didn't have enough time to get a, another twenty points out of DJ Horn, eighteen out of Antonio Reeves. They get a double double out of Ben Cricky, and I just feel like when you watch this guy in the post, it feels. I know I'm going way back here for you. It kind of feels like watching Kevin McHale on the post. It's just like you never know which way he's going to go, which post move he's going to use. You know, I heard it referred to one time as McHale kind of had the smorgasbord of post moves, you know, and just made things happen and even finishing some shots with his right hand. So they also get uh, Sack. He has 16 points. So in those two games, they had two guys, two different guys. Lead them with double figures both games. That you know, good, well-rounded performance by them. Uh, first Loyola Bradley game, which I was looking at as the first, you know, like the big matchup of the weekend. And you know, again, no Boya, no Henry for the Braves in either one of these games. But Loyola just came out like their hair was on fire. Start out on a twenty-two to two run to start the game, and. Uh, you know, Bradley fought back. They got within 12. Um, Cameron Crutwig had 19. Ugwak had 13 uh, for Loyola. Tate Hall had a really good weekend coming off the bench. I think he had 11 in the first game and 10 in the second game. And uh, Elijah Childs performed like you expected with 18 and 8. But in that game, they were never uh, really in it. The second game, which was on, uh, was just was on Monday. Yep kind of uh, went, you know, it looked like Bradley was going to be in shape again. Still, no Boya, no Henry, which I think not having Boya put Elijah Childs in a position where he had to guard Cameron Crutwig more. I think they probably could have split that time with uh, Rank Mast and Boya guarding Crutwig, but then, you know, Childs has to take some of that responsibility. He gets in foul trouble, doesn't play a lot in the second half, and I think that really showed up. You know, Bradley had a, a four-point lead at half, and they were even up seven points with seven minutes to go. And then, you know, things just kind of fell apart for them. Loyola goes on a 16-4 run over the next six minutes to take a six-point lead. And Marquise Kennedy just had a, a heck of a night, you know, really kind of took control for the Ramblers. And, uh, you know, they the Braves still held Crutwig to seven points. We hold Cameron Crutwig to seven points. And you figure you're in pretty good shape, especially oh, I don't, yeah. uh, for those that don't watch uh, much Loyola or NBC action. And I forget the exact stats, but it's like there are four players in Missouri Valley history that have like 1,500 points, 800 rebounds, and 300 assists. And Cameron Crutwig is the most recent one. You think you can name the other three? No. Larry Bird, Oscar Robertson, and Hersey Hawkins. Well, I thought you were going to yeah, – okay, I could have guessed two, two of them. Yeah, I mean, that that is like NBC royalty. Well, and it's not even that Crutwig struggled from the from the floor. You know, Crutwig was only three of five shooting that game. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Bradley did a great job just basically denying him the ball. Yeah. You know, I mean – It'd be one thing if he was getting a lot of shots, you know, shot attempts off and, you know, missing. But the fact that he was only able to get five shots and two free throw attempts, I mean, that that goes a long way of Bradley's defense on him. Maybe they tried too too much of their defensive uh, game plan was to deny him, but then, you know, kind of left some of the other guys open, which if if you're trying to defend Loyola, your game plan is to deny Crutwig probably the ball. He's... One of the best players the Missouri Valley's seen in a while. Yeah, and then that takes us to uh, my Salukis. You know, like I said, Marcus Damask, you know, uh, projected first team all-conference. And they came out, and uh, it looked really good. The Salukis that off the bat hadn't played in three weeks, you know, since they had those two games where they didn't look really good against uh, Drake. And... I don't know if it's because they didn't have Damask or if it's because 
they had time to work on some things and it was well uh, documented in the, in the two games that they only, they had their first full team practice just Sunday for the first time in three weeks because of their uh, COVID issues. But they just, you know, if that was something they worked on or they just stressed again, they had a couple new starters uh, for Plankin, I would say was starting a Harvey's spot and then Filowich was starting in Damascus spot, which was a different look for them. And both of those guys had a pretty good game in that first uh, game against Indiana State. Verplanken hit three three-pointers in the first half. Filowich had 12 points. Um, but Jones was was the story of the game for the salute. He's had 25 points. And when Indiana State made some adjustments to take him away, it uh, really impacted kind of their the Saluki's movement and stuff like that. Uh, big three-pointer by Trey Williams gives the uh, Sycamores a lead. I just that and SIU still had a chance at the end, but just couldn't do it. Interestingly enough, Indiana State's bench did not score that entire wow. game. Uh, they got. 23 points out of Tyreek Key, 16 points out of Jake LaRavia, but you have to get no points out of your bench, which is pretty tough. And then tonight, uh, close game at half, so, you know, Indiana, score, Indiana State scores right before they have to go up two um, on a missed defensive assignment and then came out in the second half, and, and it was all Indiana State in the second half. Uh, I don't know how much they were up, but it got to the point where about five minutes ago I was done at Laravia with 20 points, and Filowich has another good game with 10 points and nine boards. So looking forward to tonight's matchup, see how Drake reacts coming off of their, you know, three-week layoff like the Salukis had and playing at Missouri State. I think this is, you know, it. I think it'll still be a good game, but I wonder if it won't be as good a game as it could have been. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, looking at Indiana State, yeah, I know – you're disappointed that your Saluki's lost to him twice. But I recently, the stretch that Indiana State's been on, I think that's what uh, Coach Lansing was kind of expecting, you know, most of the year. You know, he mm-hmm. when we talked to him, he was real excited about the season and trying to get things going in the right direction, especially this year, since there had been talks, you know, that you know, he they needed to win this year. And mm-hmm. uh, the start they got off to, you know, it was like, okay, you know, they're that's not exactly what he was hoping for when we had talked to him, obviously. But, you know, you also looked at their schedule and their first four conference games were against Drake and Missouri State. And, right. And two of, basically three of the games were, you know, 10 points or less. But then this, once they beat Loyola, I mean, they've put together, I think, five wins out of their last six games with, uh, they played, some, or supposed to have played somebody and the game was postponed. I forgot who it was. Evansville. Evansville, okay. So I mean, the the stretch they're on now, I mean it it's a good stretch moving into you know two home games against Bradley, you know. Yeah, and you know like you said, their first six games were against the three top teams in the league. I mean that's yeah. that's a brutal that's, that, way to start this tough. season. Hopefully that's gotten gotten them ready. So yeah, so Indiana State's been on a good run here. Uh, with with everything that's happened here, you know, in the last well. I guess over the last couple of games since the the Valley, uh, what they have like five, the last five days there was a game. Uh, take away the top two teams in the conference. There's a lot of teams jumbled up. I think that that's going to make the Missouri Valley Conference term even more uh, more interesting, more fun to watch because you're going to have a couple teams going head to head that you may not have expected once the season started. You know. A lot of people weren't going to expect Northern Iowa to be, you know, at the bottom. But with, you know, an injury to A.J. Green and uh, one of their other players, uh, I guess, what, he transferred out? Kim, yeah, Kim is just, he went home. Yep, so he went home. And and I'll be honest, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> whether you thought Drake was going to be different than last year, there's no way anybody saw them getting off to this start. No, and I think especially with them losing Robbins. I mean, you oh, lost, yeah. you know, easily when your two best players, arguably your best player to transfer and to think that you would come out like this. It's just, there's no, you would have, even you wouldn't have put money on that. Well, no, and to even go even further than that, and I forgot who it was, but I was watching that uh, that game on television and 
one of the analysts or announcers picked Drake in their final four. I forget which guy it was. Uh, I remember taking a screenshot and sending it to you, but yeah, I know Drake's been doing very well and they're undefeated, but I had no idea that there were actually analysts out there picking them (laughs) into the final four. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, interesting. Tim Doyle. That's it. Yep. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I agree with him at that point yet. It'll be really interesting to see how they perform. Maybe, and I think to say tonight is a litmus test is it wouldn't be fair to them. But looking down the road, you know, they'll have uh, Illinois State coming up and Valparaiso, so they'll have some time to kind of get the get the uh, everything going. Well, sure, and, and you you, know. you look at what they've done this year. Yeah, I mean, some can say, well, they haven't had the toughest of schedules. Well. You know, that may be true, but it's not like they've just snuck by, you know, getting a win, you know, against some of these schools. And they've won with ease against basically all of their non-conference games. So it'll be interesting to see how how they fare against uh, Missouri State as they're uh, on the road. Missouri State's, you know, right behind them. On the Ohio— It'll be be a big test. This will see— I, it'll, either way, it's going to have an impact on seeding come Arch Madness time. Oh, for sure. But on the Ohio Valley side of things, uh, SI Edwardsville back in action after their long delay of the COVID protocols. Uh, they got back into action with a win over Tennessee State and then were 17-point underdogs against Belmont. And uh, Belmont just, I mean, it was a record record for them uh, they beat them 114 to 62 uh, I knew I knew SIUE had a long long stretch you know not being able to do you know much of any basketball activities um, I could have probably seen a game like that maybe happening their first game back but with a game with a win over Tennessee State and then that game against Belmont I don't want to say it you know call me by surprise that that you know they lost however a 52 52 point loss uh and i I guess some of you could look at and be well it was their second game you know basically the thursday saturday you know game uh right maybe that had something to do with it you know with them not being able to do a lot of basketball activities you know on the road there uh, on that second game, basically, I don't want to say it was back-to-back because they had a day off, but when you've been delayed that long, a Thursday Saturday is almost like back-to-back days because you haven't been able to do that, see anybody else outside of your own team. And even that, you didn't get to see much of your own team practice that much. Yeah, and I'd be interested to see how they handled that. You know, both of those games were on the road for SIU Edwardsville. Did they stay in Nashville for those days? Yeah, that I mean, because it seems like that's something people are worried about. But you know, going Thursday, Saturday doesn't. You know, I I, I think they had to have stayed. But, oh, I'm sure. Know, what did they do in that day off? And were they able to get anything done? Get in any place and get anything? You know, real Belmont prep done. But that's the nature of the beast. That would have been in any season. So, yeah. Uh, Jacksonville State got a. They had a good week, good road yeah. win at Murray State, 85-82. And then the matchup we had talked about on last week's episode, uh, Jacksonville State at Austin P. Was really looking forward to the matchup. I think I had said the team, the team that would win would be which player played better out of Brandon Huffman and Terry Taylor. Well, both players played great. Uh, Huffman, 20 points, four rebounds, only played 27 minutes. So he was very productive in playing just over half the game, whereas Terry Taylor almost got the 20 points, finished with 19.6 rebounds, played the full game, played all 40 minutes. Uh, So I would say Huffman did a little bit better than Taylor when you compare the production to minutes uh, played. But... Darian Adams was right. one of the go-to so guys for Jacksonville State. You know, the Gamecocks trailed the half, 32-28. But he had a t- he had a tying three-pointer to start a game-ending 9-0 run. 
mm-hmm. for Jacksonville State. And I watched about, I'd say, 90% of that game. And for basically the whole game, it was just back and forth. I mean, there really wasn't either team got out to a huge lead. But when you look at the actual statistics from the game, you're not going to lose too many games when you shoot the ball like Jacksonville State did. Jacksonville State was shot 63% from the floor. And when you're on the road especially, not too many teams can do that, whether there's fans or no fans. You know, you're not used to the environment. You're not used to the, you know, the backdrops, what have you. Shoot 63% from the floor, 100% from the foul line, and you flip the script, Austin P wasn't that much worse. They were 53% from the floor. In most cases, you shoot over 50%, you're going to win the game. Yeah. Uh, and in fairness, most of Austin P's misses, well, for both of them, but more so for Austin P, most of their misses from the floor were from three. They missed 16 three-pointers. Very true. But only 24 shots from the floor as a total. So, you know, they were 20 for, and I'm terrible at math, but, you know, 20 for, what is it, 38 at the, at the free throw line. 20 for 28, excuse me. Yeah, I'm 20 for 28 from field goal from two point range. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not doing a very good job saying (laughs) you're good. Um, but yeah, so you say Austin P missed 16 three pointers. Look on the other side of the ball, Jacksonville State only attempted 16 three pointers, right? You know, and Jacksonville State made six, Austin P made seven. So good job for Jacksonville State getting out defending that three. Uh, I mean, both teams really moved the ball around. Each team had 16 assists. So, you know, a lot of people thought it was going to be a good game. Really what it came down to, yeah, it was a six-point win for Jacksonville State, but even that, the game was a lot closer than six most of the game. Outside of that, I think uh, one of the areas really wanted to dive into this week, and I guess this just came out, what, yesterday as we record Tuesday night? Uh, Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State, uh, possible realignment in the Ohio Valley. Uh, Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State may be on the move to the Atlantic Sun with uh, Central Arkansas as well. Uh, I think you shared that tweet with me yesterday. Uh, yeah, my, my son actually came across it and, you know, it shocked me, but... Apparently, the OBC didn't know much about it either because their the spokesperson for the OBC was like, uh, no comment. And, uh, you know, that's definitely shake up. There was a what looked like a press release up on the Eastern Kentucky website, yeah. and they took it down shortly after, you know. And I'm sure Jacksonville State's kind of like, hey, this isn't uh, how we planned on doing this, guys. We kind of wanted to make sure some of these things were taken care of. But they're talking about it could happen this summer, and they – they could be playing football in the A-Sun next fall. I mean, so. yeah, I, I mean, I would say, you know, it might not be true, but for there to have actual, actually been like a press release kind of on Eastern Kentucky's website kind of makes them, well, it kind of already looks like it's a done deal, at least for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know what the... Uh, the rules would be for the OVC because sometimes they have it, you know, just for scheduling purposes that you have to give them two years notice, or I'd say at least the season's notice. And they're not getting it at this point. No, I guess you could technically say football wise. They are because, you know, FCS schools aren't, uh, aren't playing until, you know, was it February, March? So Correct. maybe that's their, their way out too. Who knows? Well, and you know, that's a good point. Like Eastern Kentucky, they, I don't even think they're really even participating in conference play due to the amount of games they, all the non-conference games they played in, uh, you know, during the fall. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Now that you mentioned that, I remember seeing them a ton on ESPN or just on national broadcasts. Yeah, they played a lot of FBS schools, so it's really not going to, you know, the spring football is not going to have any effect on them. Um. <clears throat> But how, you know, how does that affect the OVC? Like Jacksonville State, it, it kind of makes sense to me, you know, due to at least yeah. travel purposes. Like there, there's no other Ohio Valley school near Jacksonville State. You know, 
mm-hmm. probably about 10, 15, 10, 12 years ago. I think that's when they were still in the conference. Uh, Samford, you know, they were in the Ohio Valley. I know my brother-in-law was at SEMO. Uh, that was during a time where Samford, you know, you go down there for a game, Samford comes back. But since Samford left, it's just been Jacksonville State down there all by themselves. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, that, that one really kind of confuses me. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the reasoning to it. Um, you know, especially this year, seeing how good Eastern Kentucky's been and basically near the top of the Ohio Valley. Uh, from a basketball standpoint, I think the Atlantic Sun is a step below the Ohio Valley. Uh, you know, just with the with the teams that are in the Atlantic Sun. Um, when you look at, and we'll get to the teams in the Atlantic Sun here in a minute, but from a Ohio Valley Conference standpoint, you can kind of take basketball out of this equation right now. For those teams to leave, it would really hurt the Ohio Valley, especially in football. Why? Jacksonville State, I, they have been a staple in basically the FCS playoffs over, right. I couldn't tell you how many years, you know, previously. I mean, ever it seemed like every year, I know they kind of struggled here last year, but for a long, long stretch, they're one of the premier elite teams at the FCS level, always ranked very high. And, you know, whenever they have a game on their schedule against an FBS school, I mean, there would be, you kind of knew Jacksonville State was going to give that, power five school a game you know here and there they came away with a win so i think from a football standpoint it would drastically hurt the ohio valley um that's just my opinion seeing how things have you know transpired here over the last you know 10 15 years in football um where do you go uh, go ahead i was gonna say now liberty's in that conference but are they aren't are they not FBS for football? So for football, I believe they're an independent. Okay. So yeah, they're FBS. So from their perspective, the conference perspective, that should put them at, I don't know if that, how many of those schools play football, but that puts them at 11, you know, yeah. with Liberty. So if all those other schools play football, that puts them at 10, which makes it you know really nice for scheduling. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, so we'll go ahead and do it while we're talking about the teams in there. Uh, basketball-wise, teams in the Atlantic Sun. Uh, Bellarmine, uh, mm-hmm. new school into the Atlantic Sun this year. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, Jacksonville, Kennesaw State, Liberty, Lipscomb, North Alabama, North Florida, and Stetson. Uh, North Alabama, I believe, is on SEMO's uh, schedule here coming up in football. I think they have a home-and-home sometime in the next like five years um but when you when you look at the teams inside the atlantic sun okay if eastern kentucky and jacksonville state both go along with i guess central arkansas would also be on the move according to that uh right uh, release if you're the ohio valley do you want to stay with 10 teams in in the basketball side of things or are you wanting to get back to 12? Um, I, I think their bigger concern is probably being down to seven football schools. That too. You know, um, can they, do they look someplace else? Do they look at the Missouri football conference? Do you want those teams to come over? Do you know, I think, I think 10 is a real nice number basketball wise. Is it, you know, it can do a true round robin. Sure. And that's probably because of my MVC background that, you know, you get to play everybody twice. That's 18 games. It makes it nice and easy. Well, yeah, and I think my bigger concern would be trying to find another football school. If I'm going to find one, I'm, you know, 11 would be really tough basketball wise. I think it'd be easier to have nine in football to have 12 in basketball, if that makes sense. Well, sure. It makes perfect sense. I mean, for, from a basketball standpoint, I mean, you said 10 is a good number. Uh, you know, at that point, you may just have to say, okay, every team gets into the OVC tournament. You know, out of yeah. you can't just – if it were me, I wouldn't just say, oh, take the top eight. Okay, the two teams that finished 
you know, at the bottom, you, you're not getting in. Okay. Right. Um, from the football standpoint and, you know, all sports in general, you know, right now, if you look at the OVC basketball teams in it, okay, Moorhead State, they do have a football program, but they do not compete in the Ohio Valley. Belmont and SIUE do, do not even have a football program. Right. So, I mean, that's three teams already, when you look at the football side of things, that aren't in there. You take away Jacksonville State and Eastern Kentucky, well, now you're, I mean, that's that's five schools out of the 12 in basketball that, you know, would not be in football now. And that almost gets to a point where football, you're, I feel like you're going to have to add a team. I mean, because with, you know, seven teams, uh, that's a lot of non-conference games. It, I mean, it's basically, in some years, uh, some of the, some of the schools they only have 11 games but then other years they have 12 i mean that'd be basically if you're doing 12 that's five non-conference games that's that's kind of hard to find yeah especially you know for football because a lot of a lot of schools only have three to four non-conference games and there's just not enough flexibility to have five unless you're stepping down and going to a d3 or division two you know uh, buy game at home. Yeah, I wonder what it would take to get Moorhead State to bring their football program over from the Patriot League. Or is it the Pioneer League? Excuse me. I, think, I spoke. Yeah, Pioneer. I think uh, Dayton yeah. also plays in that conference. Yeah, uh, I think like Northern Iowa might be in some of those schools. Maybe not Northern Iowa, but there are some schools like that. You know, yeah, I I don't know that it's going to be interesting to see what happens here in the coming weeks. But let's look at basketball, since it's mainly a basketball podcast, or it is, I should say. Um, if you're the Ohio Valley and you're trying to get to twelve teams, let's say. The one one team you want them to have a football team to get the conference back up to eight at least. Then you look at okay, what's another team we could add for basketball or other sports that just doesn't doesn't have a football program. The one that kind of stands out to me, uh, and I think I had texted you this, uh, would be a, would be a team that's already in the Atlantic Sun, and that's Lipscomb. Uh, I think that could be a smooth transition for them into the Ohio Valley for sports. Why? Well, they're in Nashville. Already two of the schools in the Ohio Valley are in Nashville and Belmont and Tennessee State. So, I mean, that would really cut down some of the traveling costs for Lipscomb, mm-hmm. you know, just sliding over into the OVC. And I think this year they played a couple teams. I know they played SEMO in a home-and-home. Home. thought they played somebody else, too, but... To me, that'd be a smooth transition for Limpscomb to just slide into the OVC if things would, you know, work out like that. But also, they're going to tr- want to try and find a school that has football as well. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, just from a, a standpoint, then a team can go down there. Maybe they just do it every other year. They're doing a, well, I guess, yeah, every other year you're doing a three-game road trip to Nashville or play two of the three. You know. Or one of those other schools traveling in there, and then you know you get the the battle of the boulevard going again too between uh, Lipscomb and, and Belmont. You put a little more weight on that game. Oh yeah, you're right. And I, I'm not sure if we've talked about this on a previous episode or not, but a perfect example of a team that hasn't switched conferences or would have the ability to very well compete and be very good in a Power Five conference is Gonzaga. You know, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure they would love to be in a in a larger conference, but those Power 5 conferences want that football team. Gonzaga does not have a football program. So if they have a, if they have a football program, they're probably already in a Power 5 conference right now. I, they're probably in the Pac-12. Would you agree? I mean, 
I, I, I don't know how eager Gonzaga is to leave the WAC. That could also be true. Or the West Coast Conference, excuse me. You know, I think they're kind of happy where they are because, you know, the one thing we talk about basketball and they're obviously their men's team is good. Their women's team is really good. But then you look at other sports too, you know. True. It's kind of what I thought about when uh, Wichita State went to the American Athletic Conference. Well, you got some, you know, does that work for all your other sports, you know, for volleyball, for soccer and stuff like that? You know, you got to have those programs still be competitive as well. So I don't know that I've, I get the impression that they're really, I think Pac-12 should still take them if they, they came calling yeah. because it would definitely be an upgrade. So I'm looking here at the teamrankings.com for the conferences and the West Coast Conference is number 10 and the Pac-12 is at number 20 behind the Horizon League. Yeah, I yeah. Well, it, it hasn't helped that Washington has dropped off the face of the earth from the last, you know, couple of years. I mean, there was a good stretch where Washington was people were looking at them to make runs in the NCAA tournament. Now they're like yeah. what, two and ten, two and eleven. Yeah, and Oregon's on pause, but for the second or third time this year, so they're not doing their league any favors either. But so we'll see how that uh how that shakes, you know. You know, comes to life here in the next uh, coming weeks. Not sure if we'll hear anything about it during basketball season, but I'm sure we're going to have to hear about it soon because they're going to have to start, you know, doing stuff with scheduling and figuring out, you know, the financial standpoint and stuff of the conference. Yeah, because that's going to leave them. They leave before the 2021 fall season. That's going to really put them in a scramble, trying to find those other games. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll look, we'll look at some of the games here coming up between the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley conferences. Uh, TJ, we'll let you go first here with the Missouri Valley. Are there any games you're looking forward to uh, this week? Well, round two, Missouri State and Drake. I think it's 8-8 right now. At the, uh, they just took the under-16 timeout. So it's uh, 14.56 to go. And yeah, Missouri State just took the lead. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out tomorrow. Um Obviously, selfish reasons. Northern Iowa is, is visiting Southern Illinois this weekend. That'll be the only game on Saturday as of right now. And I think, looking at Sunday's schedule, I, and I didn't look back, but it may be the first time, knock on wood, that all 10 teams in the league are in action. Wow. You know, at the same time, you know, much less the same day, uh, just because of all the issues going on. And Bradley, Indiana State will be interesting. You know, does Indiana State get Boya and or Henry back? Like we said, Indiana State's played pretty well um, here as of late. And, uh, you know, Valpo, Evansville, I don't know if they'll play since Evansville's been paused. But that could give us a real feel like, you know, Valparaiso's wins over Illinois State. Were they real? Has Evansville been for real? And how will they adjust afterwards? But you also have Loyola versus Missouri State. And I think that's one where, hey, there's no excuses in that situation because Loyola's been playing, been playing well. And I think that's probably the biggest matchup over the weekend is Loyola versus Missouri State. But I think you have a lot of competitive matchups other than Drake-Illinois State. I think that's when you kind of uh, expect Drake to win. And then, uh, so that'll take us up until Monday. Yeah, uh, one of the games I think uh, that I'm looking forward to outside of, you know, Drake and Missouri State tonight and tomorrow, uh, kind of a game in the middle of the pack, uh, Valparaiso and Evansville. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Valparaiso 5-9, and 2-3, and three, Evansville 6-8, and 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Valparaiso's got a lot of games here to uh, kind of make up as the season winds down. And they're going to have a stretch here. I would say before too long, where a lot of games that had been postponed, I mean they're gonna they're gonna start making their way into uh, probably a week where there's three or three or four games in a week. Yeah, and that well, I guess one of them might be here coming up because they have Bradley the 28th, and then Evansville on the 31st and first, and then basically that next week they have Drake on the sixth. Seventh and Bradley on the tenth, mm-hmm. so it, it's going to be interesting to see how Valparaiso handles. 
basically a lot of a lot of games are they going to be conditioned enough for it especially after being you know on pause for so long you know yeah. that, that's going to be a stretch where not many not many players are you know I've been able have seen that many collegiate games in that many days outside of like a a tournament or a classic at the beginning of the year. Um, but even then, that's a little different because those classic or tournaments, you're facing teams that don't really have a, a lot on you. They don't have a lot of scouting reports. It's also the beginning of the season. Here you're facing familiar foes who know what you're capable of and know your tendencies and strategies. Um, the Ohio Valley side, uh, Right now, SIU Edwardsville is beating Eastern Illinois 15 to eight, almost halfway through the first first half. Uh, Southeast Missouri travels to UT Martin tonight, tip off eight o'clock Central Time. Uh, that's a makeup game from a game they got postponed uh, a week or two ago. Uh, then you look ahead to Thursday, basically a full slate there, and the game I'm looking forward to. There's actually two games. Uh, Moorhead State at Jacksonville State. And then you got Belmont at Austin P. Belmont just flying away 16-1, and one, undefeated in the OVC with 10 wins. And then Austin P, 8-5, and 4-3. and three. That game is going to be nationally televised on ESPNU. And if, if, I had to, if I had to guess, if I had to bet, I'm sure Belmont is going to be favored in that game. By how much? Don't know. Maybe like four and a half, five points. But it would not surprise me if if Austin P is able to come out and get a win. This is a this is a matchup where I could see Belmont falling and getting that that one loss. You know, this, this will be a tough spot. Austin P projected to win the OVC preseason. Terry Taylor preseason Player of the Year last year player of the year and it's also nationally televised austin p thinks they have a lot to prove belmont was picked to finish behind austin p and murray state and murray state's you know three and five in the conference so belmont basically doing this with i don't want to say they didn't have expectations but they weren't expected to do this well so, you know, this is a game where Austin P is going to be looking forward to, and I think they're going to be well-prepared. Uh, Moorhead State and Jacksonville State. Moorhead State was not expected to be 8-2 and two in conference play at this point. They're 11-6 and six overall, but you, you have to tip your cap, and I said it last week, I think I said it the week before, their non-conference schedule has helped them drastically to this point in conference play. I mean, especially with how much mid-majors had to uh, juggle and change their scheduling around this year. Uh-huh. For, for Moorhead State to have that many bye games and be okay with having that many bye games on there against that level of competition, I mean, it says a lot. You know, I'm sure, I mean, as most mid-majors are, they weren't expected to go in, expecting to go in there and play a, you know, a close game. But they were preparing for this. They were preparing for conference play, and they've done that. You know, their defense is top notch right now in the Ohio Valley. I mean, watching them play SEMO, you know, a couple times. Defense, I mean, they're like Hawks. I mean, they're all over the ball. Watching Moorhead State play Eastern Illinois a uh, week, week and a half ago. Great defense. I mean that was the I think that was the game where Max Smith didn't get his uh, three pointer mm-hmm. that went in. I mean Moorhead State's been great on defense. Jacksonville State underdogs the last two games this past week didn't matter. They won both. What Brandon Huffman has brought over from a Power Five school, he's brought toughness and he's he's brought length. One of the one of the lengthier guys inside the Ohio Valley, and it shows around the rim. And that that just helps uh, Daring at, uh, Adams as well. So I think that's going to be a game. It, it may be a boring game for what some people uh, 
look forward to in basketball. A lot of people like to see, you know, high scoring games back and forth. I don't know what the over under is going to look like for that game, but it would not surprise me if that game is finished in the 50s. Yeah. Because, I mean, Jacksonville State's not the fastest moving team on offense. Um, they did have a lot of points these last uh, two games out. But Moorhead State really slows the pace down, and Jacksonville State does a nice job of reacting to some of that uh, adjusted efficiencies uh, when playing other opponents. So those are the two games I'm looking forward to in the Ohio Valley side of things. What about Saturday? What are your thoughts about Belmont going to Murray State? Uh... Or do you think Murray State's still got a lot, a lot of work to do? I think they have a lot of work to do, but I, I just I can't really figure out Murray State right now. Um, they've got talent. They've got good. They got a good starting five. Um, KJ Williams, uh, Telvin Brown, uh, two very high quality players in their starting rotation, and. I guess I would be naive to say uh, Belmont should, you know, walk in there and, you know, have it their way. But Matt McMahon uh, done great things at Murray State. Very good coach. Um, Honestly, not knowing how this year was going to play out and maybe you can blame the, you know, COVID on it, whatever. It would not have surprised me if if he was going to be on the move here within the next you know year or two, not seeing how this record has transpired right now. But before the season started, right. I would have said it wouldn't surprise me if he'd be on the move to a Power 5 school within a year or two. I mean, that's what Murray State's been known for outside of point guards. It's been a great starting point for a lot of high-quality coaches. You know, Mick Cronin, uh, Billy Kennedy, Steve Prohm. Uh, I'm missing one. Uh, Mark Godfrey, I think he uh, was at Murray State for a little bit. So I mean, it's, it was probably just a matter of time before he was on the move as well. So I think I think they'll give Belmont all they want, and I think Murray State's really going to try and slow the pace of the game down because you know what Belmont's going to want to do. They're going to want want to get down there, shoot a three. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting. And I guess the one area that I look at is outside of those games. Uh, Eastern Kentucky's got a couple games postponed here uh, coming up. And I'm going to go on a different uh, route here. Supposed to go down to the Eastern Kentucky uh, Murray State game uh, Saturday, February 6th. So hopefully... You know, by that point, they're back playing because I'm really looking forward to getting down there, uh, watching the game, and trying to catch up with uh, Coach Hamilton. So I think they have, as of right now, their game Thursday the 4th isn't postponed against Austin P. according to the schedules yet. So we'll see. Yeah, it's always, always a fluid situation. I think that's the phrase we get most often. Just when you think it's solid, it's not. So, well, yeah, and and they've done a good job up, you know, thus far. I mean, well, they've played fifteen games. Yeah, they hadn't mm-hmm. been, you know, on, you know, pause yet. And seeing that their game against Semo uh, Saturday got postponed, and seeing that Semo's playing today kind of gave you a little indication that well, it must have came out of you know their program, right? But. Hopefully they're able to get back into the swing of things here before too long because you hate to take away that momentum they've been they've built up. I mean, they're one of the best mid-major teams right now and 13-2 and two and just been having a great year. And you hate to see yeah. you know see them being paused take away that uh, momentum. So, well, with that, TJ, you got any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I don't know if you saw this. I know I didn't share it with you, but uh, Valparaiso's Nick Robinson has opted out for the rest of the season. He's a senior and uh, had a son born earlier this month and 
has said that head coach Matt Lodich gave him a play at DePaul or opt-out ultimatum from the perspective of, you know, that uh, Robinson was concerned about going into Chicago, which has been a hotbed for COVID, and was apprehensive about it. And, you know, Lodich says, you know, we were trying to give our support. And so if you take it from Robinson's perspective, the player's perspective, that his coach has said, you know, either play this game or opt out. What what kind of what do you read from that? Like from a player's standpoint, coach's standpoint, or a fan? I think from a coach's standpoint, like uh, I mean uh, as a coach, I mean you obviously you want to see your players play. Um you know, you recruited them. You want to see them on the court helping the helping the team. Uh, I think this is, I don't know if unique is the right word, um, but we'll go ahead and use unique. Uh, with this being a year like, you know, any year we've ever seen before, I mean, from the player's standpoint, I mean, it, it's a great concern. You know, I mean, you got to put your family first, I feel like especially with a newborn. Um, yeah, some people may say, well, you know, he's got a, he's got a duty to fulfill, you know, having a commitment to the program. But at the same time, uh, you know, basketball only going to take you so far. You know, family's going to be there for forever. Right. So I, I don't. To me, I I can't argue or say I disagree with you know his decision to not play the rest of the year. Yeah, I wonder if Coach Lodge's feelings were, you know, either I have you or I don't have you. It can't from a, a planning perspective, and you, know, you come in and you play for a few games. Well, now other guys aren't getting playing time. Now you opt out because we go to DePaul or, you know, we play at Loyola or something of that nature. And now I need those guys to perform who haven't gotten the minutes because you were, you were playing. That, that's, that's a very good point. And that, and that, that could be very well his, his uh, outlook on the situation. You know, and, and it makes perfect sense on, you know, what you said. Because if, I mean, you can't be here and then not be there. You can't be here and not be, I mean, yeah, you're right. You got to be able to plan for, not only practices, but you got to be able to plan for, you know, matchups and games as well. You know, who am I going to have guarding player A on Illinois State? I'm not. I'm just using that as an example, right. um, because that can that can change a whole lot of you know schemes. And if you put a whole lot of time and effort into saying that he's going to guard player B, well, then then he changes mind and want to go. Well, then it changes a lot of things because they could have worked right. on different things in practice. Um, so I and so I I kind of get that. Yeah, I you know you need to know as a coach, are you going to play or are you, are you just done for the whole year? You know, I guess wishy washy. You know, don't be wishy washy. Yeah, and I can see that coach may have explained that, and maybe he didn't explain it very well, or it's just the way that Robinson took it too. You know, I've had situations where I, you know, I thought I was clear in what I said to somebody, and then what they heard and told somebody else, like, no, that's 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 not what was going through my head when I was making this statement. So, you know, there's always, you know, my version, your version, and somewhere in between is the truth. Yeah. Even when it's a situation where we're trying to be straightforward with people. Yeah. You know, you're you're right. Sometimes uh, it's just kind of a miscommunication. And, you know, don't know if that's what it was or it could have been, you know, not there, not for, uh, you know, me to say. Anyway, I caught, him, caught Coach Lodich in a moment of frustration, like, you either got to play or you're just sit out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We're all prone to uh, emotions, that's for sure. Oh, I mean, absolutely. But also at the same time, I mean, I I can almost guarantee you that 
as the coach, I mean, you also want what's best for, you know, his his family or newborn as well. You know, it's it's a lot right. of uh, it's a lot of responsibility. So, I don't really have anything to uh, wrap up the show. Uh, looking forward to the Super Bowl, a uh, couple weeks away, or yeah, I guess it is a couple weeks away. I'm I'm leaning towards Tampa Bay. Uh, Buccaneers. I think it's too uh, too coincidental to not take Tampa Bay at home, and and that Buccaneers aren't going to win on their home home field, especially Tom Brady at quarterback. Uh, I also was looking forward to seeing the Buccaneers get to the Super Bowl. Specifically, I wanted to see Tom Brady get there because I I really wanted to see how this year was going to go with who would do better, Tom Brady. Or Belichick and the Patriots. So, uh, looks like right now Brady got the uh, got the win there, upper hand. I know Patriots had some injuries and players opt out, but uh, I saw that Belichick's uh, girlfriend must have tweeted out some things about you know that comparisons. I, I'm a firm believer that if your significant other or your parents come out and publicly defend you. It, it never comes out well. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I just think of here being a St. Louis fan when, you know, Kurt Warner's wife went on a local radio show and said something. It's just like, it just doesn't come across well. And same thing when Albert Pujols was, you know, uh, signing with the Angels and some things were said. And his wife went on the radio to, to you know, kind of defend him, so to speak. It's. And I think not just because it's her wife, I think if it's a, a woman, you know, if it was the mayor of St. Louis and her husband came out and said, hey, you know, you shouldn't be saying these things about my wife. It just, I don't know. It just, it doesn't play well in, in the public side, I don't think. You know, you had to have your your wife or husband stand up for you, so. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, I guess last thing here to uh, round out the episode, uh kind of shocked not basketball related but no players elected to the baseball hall of fame uh as, yeah. as weird as the last year and a month has been i just right on cue that no player got into the hall of fame yeah and then apparently kurt schilling's written a letter say i will not participate like, we really don't get that choice yeah i, I yeah i but, saw i mean he doesn't want to participate in the the vote next year so if they vote you in, are you going to say nope? Don't want it. <laughs> It'd be kind of interesting to see what, how that uh, how that would work out. Yeah, I th- I thought where I read where he would let the veterans committee and you know the people's opinions that matter about the actual yeah. uh, how people played the game outside. I guess some of the some of the voters taken been taken into uh, consideration. Some other off the field stuff, not even just him, but other players as well over the past, uh, you know, handful of years. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I think Barry Bonds has an argument well before Kurt Schilling does. You yeah. Know, just as pure numbers are better. Uh, obviously it's under the cloud of suspicion with uh, steroid use or not, but you know, if you want to say what's on the field, you know, I think Barry Bonds' argument could be like, well, you don't know how many pitchers may have been using steroids playing against me, too. It's very true. So, uh, sad to see the passing of Hank Aaron. Probably my favorite, no, not probably, but absolutely my favorite player from the 50s, 60s, and 70s era. And I think the fact that he hit 755 home runs overshadows some of his accomplishments. Still the major league leader in RBI yep. and total bases. Yeah, I mean, just you, if you look at his stats, it's just remarkable. Like one year, I saw that he struck out forty fewer times than he walked. That's that is so impressive. And never struck out a hundred times. Which today, if a big <laughs> time home run hitter doesn't strike out a hundred times, it's newsworthy. The guy didn't do it for his career, and he played forever. Yeah, I mean nowadays, you're people they don't care if you strike out three hundred times a year as long as you're hitting yeah. two forty and hit. 35 home runs yeah it's good enough mm-hmm. but that's gonna wrap up the episode 
So for the View of the Valleys podcast, episode 32, we'll be back next week for episode 33. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. Hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Have a good one, everybody.